0: wrong. All right, everybody. Welcome back. We are looking at Season 4, Episode 15 of the Cromcast. I'm Luke. I'm Josh. I am Jonathan. And we are here to talk about the movie She. This is the the 1965 Hammer film version of the H. Ryder Haggard story. This is going to be a fun one, guys.
1: But before we get to that, we've got to do the prereqs. Woo, woo, woo. John, what you drinking? What
2: is this? I, uh, As usual, Jonathan is drinking Wild Turkey 101. It's hot. Perhaps a little too much.
0: <laughs> Getting a little bit deep into the into your cups, sir. No, I'm just kidding.
2: I'm so I might be. I might I'm be. I'm I cannot <laughs> be drunk. Beer
1: Beercules. I'm opening my second fat tire of the night. But uh, Luke and I have been sipping on some Carlo Rossi.
0: Whoa, that so yeah, that's what we've got. We've got like a, a massive four liter jug, and we're down <laughs> to like I, I think like probably the last liter, maybe. It's the uh, final. That's liter. like two two liters, guys. It's, it's a lot. It's a lot of bottles of wine. I got it for a for a Fourth of July uh, cookout. You know, making some sangria, and so this is the the remnants one week after the fact, and uh, it's a pretty imposing bottle so i think we ought to need to you know put some instagram filters on the bottle and put it out there on the internet
1: i tweeted it <laughs>
0: <laughs> nice.
2: i think you should keep it and fill it with sand podcasting fuel
0: maybe put like pennies in it
2: mm-hmm. pennies okay wishes uh, the blood of your enemies
0: the the tears of of uh
2: of your students of <laughs> my
0: students <laughs> cry into this hanky that i'll then ring out into the jug pokemon <laughs> man that's sad oh yeah pokemon go that's fun Yep, the Chromecast has been (laughs) (laughs) way into Pokemon Go. Pokey, pokey, pokey. Let's do our one things, though. Number one. (laughs) John, we're going to do one things now.
2: Okay, let's do one thing. What is your one thing? My one thing is a book. I am a big fan of the show River Monsters, much to my wife's chagrin. She does not enjoy River Monsters. But after watching his show, I found out that the guy that hosts it, Jeremy Wade, also wrote a book called River Monsters. And after reading through it, it, it covers some of the same territory of the show, some of the same fish that he has caught in their biology. But it also goes a little bit into his life story. And talks about he's got some OCD issues, apparently, and and some of the things that happened in his early adulthood, which we are all living through ourselves right now. And so, I don't know, I just really dug it. I connected with the book and read it pretty fast. So, if you like that show and you like his blending of biology and mythology, you'll probably dig his book as well. So,
0: I have a question. I, I hope it's not too silly. I really mean this like in a, in a, in a serious sort of fashion. Very uh, academic are, question. Are there pictures in the book?
2: There are, actually. Uh, There's some pretty cool photographs. In the middle, you know like how a lot of biography books or history books have all the pictures in the middle? They have all of these pictures of him catching fish from throughout his career. So you can be like, oh, I want to know what a river gaunch looks like or a goliath tigerfish. And then you go to the (laughs) middle and you're like, holy crap, it's the scariest fish I've ever seen in my entire life. If you're talking about catching real-life monsters, I
0: hope that you're going to have – some sort of, like, photographic evidence of those real-life monsters.
2: Yes, and they are terrifying-looking fish. Like, a lot of people complain about the monster's name tag, but I think it's pretty accurate. They are scary-looking fish. It doesn't mean that they're evil. It just means that, you know, they look kind of mean and scary. <laughs> cool. How about you, Josh? I have one thing. Uh you la-
1: <laughs> Last night, I watched, finally, the... The, the art house film that was released earlier this year in select cities uh, called Deadpool. Um, you may have heard of yes. it. It's based on an obscure Marvel property.
2: I believe it won the Canes Film Festival.
1: Yeah, Sundance. Um, <laughs> it will be up for
2: a Woody and Oscar and the Canes. I think it's the first <laughs> film
1: to do that. It's going to get the triple crown. Uh, I have to tell you, I've, I'm not that familiar with Deadpool. I've just never read the comics, even though I know that I would like them. Um, and I hadn't seen the movie yet. But my father-in-law loves the film, and he's got it on Blu-ray, and he brought it over last night, and uh, he and I watched Deadpool together.
0: That's awesome, dude. <laughs> yeah. Alone?
1: He, he loved it. Uh, he's seen it five times at this point. <laughs> That's
0: awesome. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, so, I, you know, I, I know, Luke, you said you hadn't seen it yet either, but I, I feel like we are amongst the minority. Like, a lot of people have seen this movie.
0: Yeah, I, I really... Uh I really do want to see it because I like toilet humor. And I mean, I really do like Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> yeah. And whoever the the gothy ex-girl is, uh-huh. I think like at least the short little blips of her are just, she looks awesome. Neg- just.
1: Negasonic Teenage Warhead.
0: <laughs> just, uh, yeah, yeah, that's just killer. <laughs> <laughs>
1: and uh, I guess I guess I can't say, well, it's in the promos, right? The other X-Man that's in it. It's not a spoiler. Oh. Colossus. Yeah, Colossus. Yeah, right, Col- yeah. So Colossus is fantastic in cool. this film. Yeah, he's he's great. <laughs> uh, so for anyone out there who hasn't seen Deadpool yet, uh, don't delay. Go go ahead and watch it. You're gonna like it. Cool. Don't be a chrome plated cock
2: goblin.
0: So okay, so for my one thing, I'm actually I'm gonna I'm gonna kinda follow up on, on some comic book stuff. Uh my little, my little guy, my little toddler son, uh, isn't cool enough and old enough to get into Teen Titans Go yet. Yeah. But I've watched that a few times, like because we've started to watch some of the, some of the Nick Jr., some of the Sprout, some of the <laughs> Cartoon Network shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you guys seen Teen Titans Go? Uh,
1: I have heard of it. I've seen Teen Titans. I haven't seen Teen Titans Go.
0: Teen Titans Go is silly and it's pretty, it's pretty damn fun. Uh, so you've got like Robin, and he's kind of the straight, the straight laced guy that's trying to keep the team together. You have Cyborg, uh, Beast Boy, uh, Starfire, and Raven. And <laughs> I'm not steeped enough in like DC lore to get all of the references, but it is more just. Hilarious! He, like it's just silly. Like if you're if you're a ten year old, you're gonna think this is the coolest show ever. And like me as as a as a thirty four year old, I still thought it was one of the coolest things that I've seen lately. Like I've I've watched at this point a couple hours worth of this this silly cartoon show. Uh, so Teen Titans. That's Go. awesome. It's pretty cool. It's
2: <laughs> it's is fun it in stuff. the same sort of echelon as Batman: Brave and the Bold. It is or? only it's okay.
0: it's probably like more fart jokes. Uh, And and even more silliness. So, like, uh, Raven is a gothy girl, and so she just talks like this all the time. You know, she's all (laughs) down in the dumpies. And then Starfire is like a valley girl, and Beast Boy is just, like, ramped up ADHD, just full tilt. Robin is clearly... OCD trying to keep things together and Cyborg, Cyborg is the cool guy that's just trying to like, you know, he may be the heart of the team or something like that. It's fun. It's really kind of it's pretty fun.
2: That sounds a lot like the Chromecast. I'm the Valley Girl. I'm the
1: girl. <laughs> you're the Valley Girl? <laughs> no, I'm the Goth Girl. Yeah, you're the Goth Girl. Like, whatever.
0: So Teen Titans Go is pretty damn cool.
1: That is cool. That's awesome.
0: All of those three things together, equal. One day. Voltron. <laughs> woo, woo, woo.
1: It's like we were three mighty lions. There's there's a Voltron joke in Deadpool.
0: Have you guys seen the, the Voltron? Is that right? That's on Netflix?
1: Yeah, I
2: haven't seen it yet. Oh, I want to watch that. I've Have you heard watched it's it? good. I don't know. I love Voltron. I don't think of Voltron. Are there lions in space? Is that the gist? Kind of like... So
1: Voltron is the Americanized bastardization of, like, several different anime series put together. Right. And uh, it's these five, it's almost like Power Rangers in a way. Like, each Mm -hmm. of them has a lion that's a different color. And the lions, they can go out into space, but they're just big mechas, right, Uh, with laser beams and missiles and stuff. And uh, they fight these monsters that come to this planet for reasons that I've never fully grasped.
0: Resource extraction, probably.
1: Yeah, probably, uh, probably climate change. Uh, <laughs> and inevitably, they try to fight them as the lions, but the monsters are too strong, so they have to form uh, into Voltron to, um, to fight the monsters. And uh, there's a Wooting clan song um, where uh, ODB. Uh, Says, uh, foreman like Voltron oh. from way back in the day. Voltron is legit, son. Wu Tang ain't nothing to f- with.
0: <laughs> I know you're a Wu Tang fan.
1: Well, yeah, dude, so you've, you've
0: been I a Wu Tang fan for like the past ten years. <laughs> I love that, uh, maybe longer <laughs> since that. I, I've known you. Anyway. I really love
1: Wu Tang Clan. Yeah,
0: a decade of Wu Tang mm-hmm. on Josh's CD player
2: uh, <laughs> in the car. If we were it's the Wu Tang Clan, who would be RZA? Uh
0: Josh, without a doubt, you're the I the mean producer. And the, uh, well, and like the, uh, I mean, they're all into Kung Fu movies, but is the one true. that's got like the deep knowledge of it, right? That's
2: true. Yeah. I don't yeah. know any other members. So that was, I was just trying to impress you with my one thing of knowledge about Wu-Tang Clan. I'm impressed. Uh, Luke's the Jizza.
1: Genius. Oh, okay. Um.
0: What does he, what does he do? Uh,
1: he's, he's, he's a producer. Uh, and he puts the beats together and that kind of thing, but so does RZA. Like they, they both kind of do the same thing. <laughs> 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 then John, John, I guess maybe you're, uh, maybe you're Method Man. Ooh, what's Method Man do? He raps. Okay, he drops sick beats. Really, RZA and Jizza drop the beats, and then Method Man drops the rhymes.
2: Who? So there's Raekwon. I'm reading Ghostface Killer.
1: This is. The whitest thing we've ever
0: done on the show.
2: <laughs> Tell me more about the Wu Tang.
0: Wu Tang, uh, not Wu Tang. Uh, Method Man is cheese on the wire. I know that, and he's pretty damned awesome as an actor. Yeah, and that—that's. I just took it to another level of white.
1: He's, he's he's legitimate as an actor. He's
0: a great actor on the wire. <laughs> that's that's silly. We're
1: leaving the scene. <laughs>
0: Apologies on all fronts. Okay. We will bring it back around to the topic at hand, which is the movie She She from 1965, Hammer Film Production. There are other versions of this story, many of which occurred in film, all based on, to some extent, the H. Ryder Haggard story, She, A History of Adventure. And what did you guys think about this movie? overall
1: i have good feelings about it
2: i didn't <laughs> <This> is, i'm <laughs> well, interested to whenever, hear
0: this yeah we'll get into
2: uh, it whenever i have bad feelings about things talking about it with you two often changes my mind so i'm interested in seeing where this discussion goes
1: so before we get into the dis- discussion of the film uh some of the uh, uh information about the movie uh it was directed by robert day produced by michael carreras uh, based on a screenplay adaptation of the H. Rider Haggard uh, story by David Chantler. Um, stars Ursula Andress as Aisha. Peter Cushing as Professor Holly, Bernard Cribbins as Job. John Richardson as Leo Vinci. Rosinda Monteros as Ustain. And Christopher Lee, Sir Christopher Lee, as Bilali. May God the rest his soul. And I should say, we we were talking earlier about the cinematography. Luke and you said you really thought it it looked it just looked really good yeah yeah so the cinematographer for this is Harry Waxman uh, who also did the cinematography for a number of films but one of those films is the original Wicker Man
0: oh so you can I feel like you can see that here like just the maybe the cuts of it and uh, yeah just the the lighting of it looks about right Mm -hmm. it's yeah this is I mean through and through this really is a hammer kind of movie like with the the lush exotic locations you know there's there's of course beautiful women that are gracing the 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 stage and there's all these rough and tumble dudes that are that are bouncing around in the story and yep. of course Cushing and Cushing Lee and Lee are Lee. like just rocking <laughs> so so it has all of those touchstones but but just Trapping. overall that yeah trappings like this story was fit for this kind of production though
1: I I agree. Yeah, this is the movie that took Hammer in a a new direction into the big budget, epic, sort of uh, female as a lead character uh, features uh, and sort of away from the horror films that they had been known for over the previous decade.
0: Visually, this is a really interesting movie. Uh, Have you guys seen uh, any of the other Versions and I guess specifically I watched The RKO uh, 1935 version of this Film
1: so you're not talking about the the 1980s Version with Sandal Bergman
0: I have not Seen that but so is that actually Based on the the story
1: That they share a title and that's About it
0: okay okay <laughs> I didn't
1: <laughs> evil know
2: Ed liked it I'm oh sorry? really Who liked it
1: evil ed oh Yeah evil ed does does dig the, the, the Sandal Bergman uh, She ed if you're listening Send us a voicemail and let us know why that '80s version of She is is any good. Recommend it, uh, and and let us know why we should watch it.
0: Uh, the '30s version of She is pretty cool. Like as far as the the appearance of that movie, and there's some su- substantial differences in the story, which I'm sure we'll talk about here here in just a few minutes. But uh, overall, the setting of it is different. It takes place in the Arctic, in like Siberia, uh, and so it's not. It's not this this lush African kind of setting. It's, That's interesting. It's above ground. It's cold. Well, from what I can tell, it was based on at least the setting is maybe from the second or the third. Uh, book in the series of She that was written by Haggard uh, so so there's some reasoning for that placement but it has a different feel for sure.
2: That's really interesting to hear. Yeah. That's not the silent version though right?
0: No so this is the version after that. This is a talkie okay. it's from 35. It's directed by the same fellow that uh, that did King Kong and this was his follow up and there's a recolored version of this uh, that, you can, that you can find pretty easily like on Amazon that kind of thing yeah uh, but I watched just the the two dollar black and white that you can get on Amazon, uh, and stream it digitally. And it's you know, it's good. It <laughs> I think it has some some problems as a story, but there's some really cool tropes the same way that we'll talk about this hammer version of the film too. I think we can pull a lot of tropes out of that too.
2: And it sort of demonstrates how this is a story that's reverber ver- yeah, this is a story that has reverberated through time. This is one of the foundation stones, so the Lost World genre that we've been discussing for the whole season, and it seems like people really dig it.
1: Yeah, everyone that we've mentioned to that we're going to cover this movie has has been really enthusiastic about it.
0: And there's, it's cool that there's so many versions of this story, you know, the Hammer version that we're going to talk about here differs from the book, the book uh, like I mentioned before, the the 30s version of this film uh, of this of this story is a blending of multiple books, so there's There's lots of different interpretations of the story, but the constants are uh, Aisha, who is uh, this multi-millennia-aged sorceress queen of a lost civilization, and you have uh, a handful of fellows that, that search her out.
1: Yep. So, let's get into a quick synopsis of the film and talk about some of those themes as we move along.
0: Yeah, yeah. So the the start of the Hammer story is a little bit different than the than the written uh, the written tale, but basically it's post World War One, right? We've got Peter Cushing uh, playing Horace Holly, who's at least in the book and in other versions he's kind of your point of view character that's sort of driving the story. Uh, but I think here in the Hammer film version there's a little bit of mixing. You see Leo Vinci, who's the younger fellow that's kind of the the destined, uh, you know individual being sought out by, by Aisha, uh, he's in the story, but so you've got Holl- uh, Horace Holly, Leo Vinci, and then also Job, who's kind of like the, the practical third, third wheel of the story. All three of these guys end up in a bar. Uh, they end up having some dances with some, some belly dancers. It's, it's great fun, right?
1: Yeah. Seeing, uh, Peter Cushing up there bumping and grinding with the, uh, the, the, the belly dancers that are doing the dance of the seven veils or whatever is, <laughs> it's pretty great. You can tell he's enjoying himself. So we, oh, go ahead. And he, I I like that he tells uh, Job, hey, you've got to take your hat off. You can't dance with ladies (laughs) with your hat.
0: Slightly older, uncomfortably older dudes dancing with these scantily clad (laughs) ladies. They're wearing like three piece suits, you know, take your hat off, take your bowler off, dude. Take your bowler off. My word, my word, Job. <laughs> They're dancing about. Uh, Leo. He's a little bit younger than than Horace and Job, and he uh, makes eye contact with a with a character. We learn her name is uh, Ustain. Right. That's yep. how I'm going to pronounce it. Yep. Uh, that sounds good. She's been sent there. She's on a mission. She's there with a the bodyguard. The bodyguard, you know, disappears and and she and leo strike up a conversation he's like hey let's make this a little bit more comfortable and get out of here
1: yeah i know we only just met
0: but, uh, <laughs> and she's game so they dash out <laughs> uh they end up at another place and uh, leo ends up finding another lady altogether. who is that
1: that's ursula Andress. um who is beautiful, picturesque, smoking, just smoking hot.
0: She's a temptress in this situation, right? Certainly.
1: Yeah. At at this point you can sort of tell that the narrative is building this uh, interest from Ustain toward Vinci. Like she you, you can you can tell that she already kind of has feelings towards him. It's it's maybe not quite love at first sight, but she's interested. She's in she's into Vinci. But once Vinci sees Aisha she who awaits I think any thought of Ustain is kind of gone from yeah
0: it's you get a you get a love triangle that develops here yeah Leo is the item that's being sought which which is is interesting
1: unusual right like often it's the beautiful lady in these pulp style adventure stories that that is the object to be won but here Aisha is trying to uh, win Leo Vinci and in order to do that, she needs to make sure that he is worthy of her. And so she gives him a map and a ring and says, if you can make it to the mountains of the moon where, where, where my crib is, then you will be worthy of me.
0: So you get kind of multiple layers. I'm not going to say this is a super complicated or dense story, but there are layers of things to unpack. And so clearly there's some feminist... Components to this story that have been interpreted, you know, specifically the novel, like multiple times over. Uh, but I think it is interesting. Like Josh, you mentioned that that Leo is being sought out or or desired by these multiple women, but specifically Leo is after uh, Aisha. It's weird. Like there's there's sort of pursuit on both ends like he the ultimately the driver of the story to get us from point a to point b at least for the first third or half of the story is uh leo and his buddies getting to aisha yeah uh but really it's her desire of him like she's just hoping against hope that he's the one
1: and i think she says that to uh bill Lally, that you know she knows she could take him now but she needs to make sure that he's worthy. Right, John? Yeah. She yeah, she's gotta test him. And what better test than to make him cross the desert?
0: <laughs> yeah, the heart <laughs> you know, deep in the heart here of of central northern Africa, right? This is this has some, some throwbacks to like Nile civilizations, at least in this version of the story. Uh, so so there's these this desert travailing that goes on.
2: A favorite of H Rider Haggard's.
0: Right. We've, I think we've seen it before. This coming to some mountains across a desert, right?
1: Yep. But instead of Sheba's breasts, we're going to the mountains of the moon.
0: It's a better title.
1: <laughs> it, it is. I, well,
0: is it? I, I don't think know. so. I think so. I mean, yeah. There's more to the imagination. I guess
1: that's true. Yeah. Just <laughs> instead of saying Sheba's breasts, it's, yeah.
0: Yes, there's I, a nipple there and a nipple over there. <laughs> <laughs> look, look how big they are. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think this is a better this is a better developed story than King Solomon's Minds, at least in that regard of like like putting together the way the plot points are, are sort of laid out. At least from what I can tell from from watching the couple movie adaptations of this.
1: Yeah, I, and I know that we haven't read this story cover to cover. I did start uh-huh. the the book and made it about. I'd say a quarter of the way through before we recorded tonight. Um, and it starts pretty differently. Um, there's a better explanation of why Horace Holly is, uh, interested in Vinci and why he agrees to go along, you know, besides, you know, in the film, his justification is, Oh, I've heard of this ancient lost city and wouldn't it be great to go there? And I'd be the first, Mm-hmm. Uh, professor, to investigate it, and and that would be that'd be great. And I want to see it before I die.
0: Okay. And in the in the '30s version, like within the outset, Leo Vinci's uh, father talks about the Fountain of Youth. That there was another Vinci that that sort of this family lineage that can tie to this story. But basically, hey, I know about the secret of the Fountain of the Youth, and you and Horace Holly need to go out. After it. So there's various vehicles to get us on the road uh, to this lost civilization.
2: Yeah. So they start making their way across the desert. It looks a lot like King Solomon's mind to me in this middle part where the water runs out. Uh, they get really thirsty. But luckily, somebody is there to rescue them. Right, Josh?
1: That's right. Yeah. Luckily, uh, Ustain is there, right? Ustain. Ustain Bolt. Ustain Bolt. Yeah, she's very fast. Uh, <laughs> she's, she's there. She can... Get them out of this tricky situation and lead them to her father.
0: Okay, Hamid. And, yeah, maybe.
1: I think. I don't Who, remember. Is if, he a
2: king? A captive? Uh, I, I think. I kind of get.
1: Ma- maybe. Ahead. Maybe some member of the clergy. Yeah. He's wearing okay. that medallion, or at least he has it, right? Yes. And and the medallion has the the likeness of Vinci. Like it looks just like him. It's uncanny. How can it be? Um, that's what everyone's thinking. And that's also what the, uh, that's also what the people who live in this, this sort of, uh, slave enclave kind of area <laughs> are thinking as well. And what we come to understand is that these people have been subjugated by Aisha, who they know as she, who must be obeyed, uh, for generations for time out of mind. And they see this white guy come into their town. he looks just like the person on the medallion. Oh, maybe if we sacrificed him, we would get what we need, uh, some favor from the gods to finally overthrow Aisha And so they grab him. And, and what I think is uh, very reminiscent of King Kong, uh-huh, we, we get uh, the, this uh, ritualistic sacrifice. Uh, or at least an attempted sacrifice.
0: Right, right. Uh, there's a slashing knife that's coming ever closer. Uh, Christopher Lee, the priest, <laughs> shows up with Aisha's uh, guards and, and, and her infantrymen, and they sort of bring the bring the restless natives uh, into submission again. You know, it becomes clear like they are totally under the thumb of Aisha,
1: and they arrest some of those natives uh 15 of them I think and bring them back to Aisha.
0: Fun fact, uh in the, the the 30s version of this, uh it's not like a King Kong style uh bloodletting sacrifice that's about to unwind which you would expect because the the 30s version was directed by the guy that did King Kong. Rather what you see is a is a molten sort of pot like a helmet getting heated in a fire that's about to be placed on the head. Of, of vinci which is really kind of crazy like it's you've kind of seen that if you've ever watched any of the, the game of thrones or read the song of ice and fire there's there's a similar kind of beat that that really caught me sort of out of nowhere i'm like oh i feel like i've
2: seen that <laughs> before I, sh- I shall give you your crown of gold <laughs> it's pretty cool to see uh, that's a real deal roman punishment Pouring molten something down somebody's throat. So that's kind of cool to hear. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want that. Nope. But no. <laughs> it, it's interesting that these guys, the Aisha's
1: guard, look like Roman legionnaires.
2: I picked up on that when, we, when I was watching the movie, and I thought there was no explanation for why they were dressed as the lost legion. Nope, other
1: than the, the fact that they were ancient, I guess. Right. Like, we're supposed to understand that they, they are long lost, and their're a civilization so what better than Rome to depict that but uh-huh. in the book they they're very clearly supposed to be Egyptian
0: right okay
1: so it's 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 a it's a change
0: okay yeah it's so Aisha we find out is like over 2,000 years old right but she doesn't look a day over like 25 yeah she she's in her Prime <laughs> for sure, and and says, "Hey, I've got things figured out." Uh, she she has control over her own mortality. She is a savvy commander. She's ruling with a with a with an iron fist. She's she has uh, fear on her side. Like maybe she says that, or she rules by fear. Like that's something that comes up at least in mm-hmm. one of the versions of the film that I watched. So she's she is a powerful woman, and it's it's apparent. Like at this point, like if you were if you were thinking Aisha was just a de- desirable queen to be pursued, she's not. Like she, she has much, much more. And there's, there's a level of mystical—I I don't know—just, just, just a, a spook factor that really you can pick up on here.
1: So, what did you guys think about Ursula Andress? Like, this is at this point the second scene that we've we've witnessed her in, and she brings these this servant class, these 15 guys Uh into her throne room and sentences them to die.
0: It's, it's a, you know, overall her presentation is so sensual and seductive, but almost, almost some level of like, she's not a sex pot. It's, it's more regal and you know, she's an object of desire through and through, but there's that sinister edge, man. Like she very much makes statements and through her, her sort of cunning as a ruler. She's scary.
2: I think she seems
1: very cold and calculating. Yeah, no, there's not much warm about her, even though she's clearly supposed to be associated with fire in this Mm -hmm. film. You, you get the sense that she is not a a warm person. I mean, she's very, very old, has been the ruler of this place for a really long time and has held on to it for that long. And in
2: order to do that, you have to be ruthless to some degree, but well, uh, in his, Is waiting on a lover to return that she herself she killed to the afterlife. Yes. Right.
0: And so you see that. I really, really wish that we had a woman that was on the Chromecast for this for this episode, because I think talking about the depiction of Aisha, like you have her and Ustain, and they clearly represent various like female archetypes. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's just like that as a motivator of the story is, is really interesting. Like she, she is a precursor to, you know, Cersei, like to bring it back to like another song of ice and fire <laughs> kind of reference, like a lot of these, you know, more sinister uh, lead characters and stories.
1: I read a review of this film that made the claim and I can't, I can't remember who wrote it, but I'll add it to the show notes that H rider Haggard wrote this prior to the publication of Dracula and Ayesha represents kind of the, the opposite of Dracula in that she is very old, very scary, um, and very seductive in, in her power. So not, not really necessarily the th- same themes of the story, but the, the character has is sort of a proto-Dracula in a sense. Okay. What do you think of that? That's,
2: that's very interesting. I, I would never have thought of that, I guess. But it's interesting in conjunction with this being a Hammer film. Yeah, yeah, definitely.
0: In the uh, the nineteen thirties version of this, the RKO production, the uh, depiction of she very clearly reminds you of the evil witch from yeah. from Snow White. She looks like the wicked stepmother. <laughs> yeah. She's a brunette. <clears throat> yeah, and so so it's it's pretty it's pretty clear where that presentation of this cold evil witch sort of came from. But it's it's cool to see that presentation of the character as opposed to, like, Ursula Andress's presentation. And I do, and I do think that the Hammer Productions presentation of Aisha is more is far more
2: intriguing. I had read a couple of things about how Ursula Andress was upset, sort of, with what she had to work with in this movie. Do you think that came across at all? I, I don't know.
0: No, I, d- I didn't pick up, like... Uh, how so specifically?
2: With with that how she was disappointed with the role and the way that it came out in the film that she she was not happy with the final product.
1: I mean, I I don't think that this is you know an Oscar worthy performance by her. I mean, she she's gorgeous and she really kind of effectively gets across this character. I didn't I didn't necessarily get that she was disinterested or dissatisfied. No, I. I but maybe it's because her performance is one that uh, you know she's trying to get across that Aisha is kind of disconnected.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, like ultimately Aisha's demise I think is is pitch perfect in the in the hammer story like the way that it plays out. Uh but you can see it coming and it's not paper thin but but a what you would hope that someone that's lived a couple thousand years that it would be an unav- it would be an avoidable sort of demise that, that you know, guile would take you further than that. But I guess that's kind of, like, it's relying on this predictable trope, uh, even though it kind of invents the way the story plays out. And, you know, she versus Ustain, like, you can see it coming, and it would be cool to see an extra level of, of, of sophistication brought into, like, how that story would play out. I don't necessarily know how that would be, like, what I would do differently, but... Maybe if I think about it here over the next couple of minutes I might <laughs> I might have a little <laughs> bit more I don't know. But what what specifically was was she unhappy with like her, the depiction of her as a woman, John? Or do you know like was it? A Just sex what part?
2: I read said that she she seemed disappointed with the film and would often talk about being unhappy with the final product. I never read any explicit like This is why I feel that way or anything to that effect, but that it just wasn't up to what she wanted, I guess. Okay. And I wonder if it has to do with the femininity portion because we've touched a slight bit upon it, but this is sort of held up as an early feminist work, and I wonder if she felt like she did that justice or if Hammer did that justice. I'm not sure. I mean,
1: I I got the sense that Aisha definitely has her own agency. She's in control of, of her, herself to a large degree. Uh, she makes a tactical mistake there at the end that kind of costs her. But, you know, she is in charge.
0: I kind of feel like I don't... If I was a woman, I'm. I think I would probably be a bit upset at the depiction of women in this movie just in terms of Aisha and Ustain representing these caricature personas. Like the I mean, and and I guess the the presentation of men in this movie is not like <laughs> it's not like there's a great level of sophistication in <clears throat> in terms of Cushing or Christopher Lee or right. the fellow that like Job or or Leo. Like the way that those guys are presented, there's a lot of archetypical presentations of of characters in this story. So I'm not going to get too banana shaped with with. Uh, the presentation of either men or women. But, you know, in terms of saying this is a feminist film, you have a powerful driver that I guess ultimately becomes the antagonist. And you have at least a good-hearted extra portion of the, the love triangle with Ustain. But you just really would expect that Aisha would make a better decision by the end of the movie and i'm not saying i want a happy ending cuz god <laughs> i really do like the way that this ends i think it's it's perfect uh but but she's she's not clever by half like she falls you know straight into a, a a silly silly trap
2: i think that that's the interesting part to talk about is this is from what i read multiple times this is supposed to be a very feminist film but or a story i guess a feminist story not necessarily a film but it's still about two women fighting over a man, yeah. In the end, and in his
1: love, I, I never. I, I guess she is fighting for this man, but to me, it's more. She wants to possess this man. It's, it's less that she wants this man to love her. She wants to be chosen by him. But it, it's, it's. I don't know. It's I don't, domineering. Yeah. It's, it's. She, she wants to make him choose her, and that's why she puts the other girl in the cage above the fire, right? So, right. to fast forward the narrative a little bit, uh, we get the background of Vincy's um, ancestor, who was the lover of of Aisha, who cheated on her. She she caught in the embrace of another woman, mm-hmm. and and killed, subsequently killed, and has spent these long millennia waiting for his res- uh, his rebirth, his reincarnation. I guess she's been waiting all these years for this man who she killed, not, I think because she wants that love. She wants to own this, this guy. Yeah. And and she wants to win. Yeah. Yeah. She, she wants to be able to have killed him, taught him a lesson and now show him, you know, you should never do that again. I, I, that's that's what I picked up.
2: Message though. Well,
1: I don't know. I, to me, my, my perception is that I don't know if it's empowering, but it certainly, it's it's.
0: I mean, you like to root for the bad guy in a lot of cases, and this is this is an instance where she's at least like she's she's the the biggest badass on the block. You yeah. may not you know, may not be sympathetic to her. I guess that's the thing. Like by the time you get to the final beats of the movie, you are not sympathetic to Aisha's position because she's dug this hole. Like she still is all consumed with her desire for control. And ultimately she makes those silly moves that lead to her demise. So she's not a sympathetic bad guy. She's just a badass bad guy.
1: And so what happens is that, uh, Aisha catches, uh, Ustain kissing Vinci. And then she puts, uh, Ustain in a cage above the fire and is trying to make Vinci choose. Right. And is saying, look, I'm gonna kill this this girl. I'm gonna kill her. And ultimately Vincey chooses Aisha. He he doesn't choose the the virginal good person mm-hmm. um who is, is beautiful in, in and of herself. She's she's a good character. She's obviously I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I liked her.
0: Yeah, she proclaims her love over and over and over again to Leo. And so Leo is just a jackass, right? Like right. you you see it and you're thinking, "Well, that's kind of silly." I mean, you you kind of understand the way that the story plays things out that he like Ursula Andress is just to, like that desire is all consuming. But this dude, he got what came to him.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and so they they go to the uh the chamber where the, the flame eternal resides right. and Bilali is there. Uh, we have a, a nice little little fight with Bilali, between Bilali and Vinci. And then at the same time, we have the invading uh, slave army, like this revolt mm-hmm. happening. And Aisha is trying to make Vinci immortal like her. Um, ultimately, Bilali is, is killed he believes that he should be granted eternal life because he served Aisha for years and has earned it. He thinks. This
0: is another trope that I think is kind of cool. And I, I, I really don't want to just make like uh game of Thrones comparisons, but I, <laughs> you, you really do see uh, this trope of like an older uh, confidant, like, like a man that's just totally infatuated with, with the woman that he's serving and he can't have her?
1: Jorah Mormont. Like,
0: yeah, like it's <laughs> you see like this is a trope and I don't know if it just began here cuz I haven't thought about it like precursors to to these 1900 stories but but this is a really powerful characterization of of men within these types of stories too. Like if you have a a strong woman protagonist or antagonist like having these associated Moons that are orbiting, like the you know the the character that's the central sort of planetary sort of figure. I don't know if that's a good comparison. I think it's I think it's interesting.
1: And so, Bilali loses this this encounter, and Aisha says, "Quickly, jump in the flame. Get in there. It won't <laughs> hurt. I'll go with you." And so, I think she has she demonstrates here her either her lack of knowledge about how this works, which is what I thought. Or her hubris in that she believes, oh, it won't really affect me. I'm I'm all powerful. Yeah. <laughs> and and she, what what
2: happens to her, John? She ages millennia in mere seconds. Yeah. I wondered when I watched it. it was, is this the ultimate, like knife in the back to the guy? Like you choose on me, brought you back, you found me, I made you realize you love me. Now you got to watch me die. In like and three and seconds. you
1: have to be immortal and know and what it's like to, to live, live with without me forever. Wow, yeah. I didn't think of it like that, yeah, that makes her really spiteful even even more spiteful than she than I thought she was earlier.
2: That was the point where I thought I don't know how feminist this is or how empowering quote unquote this is because that was what I came away with, but I don't know if that's what was intended or not
1: but oh that's a cool interpretation of it and and you're not wrong, I'm usually wrong, no, you're not wrong <laughs> um, but the the beautiful irony here is that. Vinci could have lived the rest of his days happy with Ustain, who loved him, but instead he chose the infinitely seductive Ursula Andress, uh, Aisha. And now he, as, uh, as Horace Holly suggested earlier in the narrative, he's going to live to regret this decision.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And I love that Horace, has tried to to make the case previously, like that's really what holds the weight to me is the delivery of, of the lines by Cushing throughout the latter portion of the movie. Like you don't want to go through with this. This is this is silly.
1: We're not meant to be. Think immortal. about it yet. <laughs> yeah. Ah, the impetuousness of youth.
2: Yep. Yeah. Peter Cushing, as usual, pretty
1: cool guy. Yeah. And that that brings us to the end of the movie. Um, I guess Vincey is gonna wait. Until the next time the flame turns blue and he's going to jump in and age and follow Aisha into the next life.
0: That's lonely, man. I hope that, uh, I hope that he's got a full battery on a cell phone for Pokemon Go. Something. No
1: kidding, yeah. He's going to survive <laughs> and make it to the smartphone era in, in Pokemon Go.
0: He's going to have a couple millennia of waiting around, I guess.
1: Yeah. Mm, <laughs>
0: it's bad news.
1: So, John, you, you left this movie with, uh, or I guess I should say this movie left a bad taste in your mouth.
2: I don't know if I'd say a bad taste in my mouth. I just was not as enthralled as I had expected based on our conversations with other people. Everybody seemed to say like this story, this movie, this whole gestalt, this whole thing is very enthralling. And I don't know. I just did not find it as such. I, I don't know if what was my distraction, but I just was not taken in by it. There didn't seem to be a whole lot to enthrall me. Uh maybe that's just my own hang up, so I don't want to distract other people from it, but I was not taken in by it. That's okay. you don't have to like it. You guys liked it though
1: yeah, I think we did too Let's at least hear about a, that a greater degree. well, I mean, speaking for myself i I liked the emotional conflict that this story provided uh Vinci had to decide do I go with the the ancient powerful seductive rich you know every what I guess might in Leo Vinci's mind be every man's dream Mm -hmm. or do I go with, um, do I go with who who is beautiful in her own right and, and seems loyal and faithful and, and caring. Um, and he chooses the, uh, he chooses to go with Aisha. And I thought that was fascinating. Um, in most movies, the narrative would have the guy eventually come to his senses and go, no, I love her. She's, she's the one. And that didn't happen. And Ustain gets dropped in a volcano and a horrible fate awaits Vinci. And I, I just, I think that is perfectly executed in this. It, it, it made me feel the weight of these decisions and the consequences of them.
0: That's, you know, that's, I guess that's how I feel too. Like the movie has a lot of merits in terms of uh, just its overall appearance. It's a pretty movie. There's a lot of lush, you know, backgrounds and and action and the high romance. The plot itself doesn't necessarily move at a clip where it's not engaging enough that I would rate this movie as excellent. But the ending, I think, really is great. Like, And maybe I've mentioned it here on the story, or on on the on the Chromecast before about other stories, Uh, or maybe it's I I know it's something that I've talked about with with both of you, Josh and John. That you know I I really like noir stories, and and I think Brubaker has described it as you know in those kinds of stories you can see. The train wreck that's going to happen at the end, and it's all about (laughs) the—you just—you can see it, and you know that those characters are damned, and you can't look away. And really, like the the final act of this story has that kind of delivery where you can see what's going to unfold here, and that's really engaging to me. So, like the final. Ten to fifteen minutes of this story, I think, are badass. Uh, and there's a lot of great bits of, of of scenery and and you know, Cushing and and Lee are doing great. And Ursula Andrus is just beautiful as well as Ustain, uh, that that actress. So it's in, enjoyable in that respect. But really, it's the ending that makes this movie great. The uh, the '30s black and white version that I watched has much more of a happy ending. There's really? a character named Tanya instead of Ustain. Uh, she's a white girl named Tanya that gets Tanya or Tanya that gets thrown in with with our adventurers, and she's kind of there the whole way along. And you know, Leo and her end up together. Like uh, Aisha ends up going into the flames and dies, but he doesn't. Like he he makes it out unscathed. And so it's got that kind of happy feel-good beat. But it, the movie just doesn't have the weight that this this Hammer production does.
2: The gothic feel to it.
1: Yeah, I didn't think about the the noir aspect of it. That that Aisha definitely is the femme fatale, and, and she is, yeah, yeah yeah, and is leading leading them into this uh, this bad decision. They're doomed. Dames
0: doomed. <laughs> Ain't that just how a love story ends?
1: Yeah, we'll always have the
2: mountains of the moon. <laughs> You See how this influenced Howard—the racial memory stuff, the lost genre, the lost world genre type stuff. Mm-hmm. A blue flame that pops up in uh, some Solomon Kane stuff, right? Yeah, definitely. Uh, we've got we've got lots of things here that I can tell Howard was probably uh, a Haggard fan.
0: Yeah, and I was thinking of like I really dug the Conan story, Uthul of the Dusk or the Slithering Shadow, whatever it's called. And what's her name, Thalia or Thalic or Thalus or something? The the mm-hmm. sort of the BDSM mm-hmm. <laughs> chick that, that I think is a really excellent uh, femme fatale feminist character. I, I see some similarity, like it, on a much smaller scale. It's it's not it's not necessarily the same thing, but there's there's traces of that that pop up in in lots of of Conan stories anyway.
1: Well, that character is immortal too, right? Like she's been alive for a long time, and and she is descended from. Uh, the this royalty and, and has some, I guess now that I think about it, some similarities with Aisha.
0: She's in that deserted sti- uh, city and she's been there for quite some time. So yeah, yeah. maybe. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Is that it? Yeah.
0: <laughs> I <laughs> guess
1: I guess we've done this one to death. Do you have any other final thoughts?
0: I think that Aisha is a cool feminine <laughs> character within the story. You might not... I don't know. I would be really curious to hear... What what women think about this story specifically? King Solomon's Minds, I think, has has poor representation of of women. You know, just overall, they're kind of absent or they're or they're not falling into that traditional sort of masculine gaze. Like the, you know, if I can't marry them, they don't count. You know,
1: and Alan Cordayne <laughs> says over and over, women are are nothing but trouble, right? right?
0: And so here, there's some really cool women characters, whether or not they're protagonists or something to be sort of uh aspirational. It's they're interesting. So so whether you like Aisha or not, she's pretty badass and cool, I think.
1: Yeah. And we think you are badass and cool listeners. <laughs> and if you want to uh uh show how badass and cool you are you can send us some feedback. You can call us at eight five nine four two nine Crom. You can email the Cromcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can leave a comment on our blog. That's the Uh, you can find us on Twitter at the Chromecast or on Facebook, facebook.com slash the And, uh, you can listen to us. I'm not sure how you're listening to us right now, but you have options at your disposal. We're now on Google play. Uh, you can find us on Stitcher. You can find us on iTunes. You can find us on many different, uh, podcasting, catching apps. Um, Gotta catch them all.
2: You gotta. You can use your pod catcher while you're catching Pokemon. That's
1: right. Yeah, you can listen to us while you're out walking around with Pokemon Go.
2: Listen to us. Talk to us. We are the podcast you must be obeyed. <laughs> that's right, and we look nothing
1: like Ursula Andress.
2: Well,
0: speak for yourself.
1: Well, I mean, you do.
2: You're the blondie
0: dude. I guess that's true. Yeah. <laughs> and Josh is our Ursula Andress. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I never thought about that before. I'm gonna. I'm gonna consider it later.
0: <laughs> <laughs> anyway. <laughs> what are we up to next, guys? We're in the home stretch. We got some REA challoping your face. And we
1: hope to have some interesting and awesome guests for those uh brand stories. Yes, we do. Truth. Yeah, that's true. Yes.
0: We miss you all already. Yep. We'll talk to you later. Bye. Uh, <laughs> I think we're done here.
3: <laughs> I fight my way through the five o'clock rush hour. As daylight slowly leaves the sky. I open the door to that little room we call home. No, it's always been that way When I find my way Through the early morning traffic Oh, it's someone else's heavy on Her loving arms are there to greet me And her tender lips are there to greet me That's the way I start my day But it's too bad Oh, it doesn't end that way In my home. Why the, the other woman, woman making me, making me do, wrong. do wrong? I didn't intend to let it get that strong. Now I've got to decide where I belong. Now we've got to decide. Now I've got to decide